Bibles, No Limits podcast listeners. This is Sarah Box, your host, and this week I'm excited to introduce you to someone that I think you're going to really like, partly because she has a great story. She is, like most of us, someone who's had a dream and has persevered to accomplish it. But let me give you some more background on her. Today's guest is Shannon Lee, and Shannon is described as a driven individual with a passion for writing. Shannon is a successful writer and writing workshop leader, and her bylines include Cosmopolitan, Elle, Marie Claire, Playboy, Good Housekeeping, Women's Day, Red Book, Women's Health, Time Out New York Magazine, and Prevention Magazine. And she's currently a contributor for The Lily at The Washington Post. On top of that, she's a filmmaker. So her credits and accomplishments are pretty big. One of the things that I thought was very interesting about Shannon when I was looking over her background and learning a little bit more about her is this intersection of her education and her experience. And she has a bachelor's degree in human and social service administration, but she also has a graduate certificate in addiction and she has studied clinical mental health counseling with a specialty in trauma and crisis counseling. And that will tie into the story that Shannon will share with us. I think you will enjoy her as much as I have in the pre-interview chat. So Shannon, with that as a short introduction, what else would you like our folks to know about you before we dive into the interview? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for that that introduction, Sarah. I mean, you really have covered kind of like the bulk of what I do. And my focus is always to, you know, share my experiences with women, help women get to the next level as it relates to their businesses or their writing practice or the media experience that they want to cultivate. So um, you pretty much have touched on, you know, my background and what I currently do. So One of the things that you talk about is how oftentimes women come to careers later in life or through a journey. So will you tell us a little bit about your own path and how you came to do the work that you're doing today? Absolutely. And I always start all the way back to when I was a teen. I was in kind of like this pattern of abusive relationships from the time I was 19 years old. And because I do so much in work that relates to serving survivors of of domestic violence and sexual assault, that's pretty much where my story begins. So I was in a volatile relationship as a teenager. I I was engaged to my high school sweetheart and we moved in shortly after our high school graduation. And there was always, the verbal abuse was always present. Um, the mental abuse was always present. And when it escalated to physical violence, I broke off the engagement and moved out actually while he was working. I had some friends come in and just kind of moved me out and I joined the military because I thought that it would be the easiest way for me to transition and to get out of that situation, but still have, you know, a stable job. And I thought it would allow me to travel. And so I went into the military. I was quite young and I didn't end up having the experience that I thought I would have. I was still in tech school, which is 
the step just after boot camp, you go in, you do boot camp, and then you go on to a school that really gives you specialized training for your career field. So I was in that stage. And just before graduating, I was told by my superior that she knew my boss, you know, where I was going to be stationed and that he was great and that he really, you know, he really loved black women and I was going to be, you know, perfect for him. And I, and I just thought, okay, that's odd. You know, I was hoping it was a bad joke. Um, I was in a relationship, so I didn't think that that was relevant to me. Um, So when I got stationed and I wound up being stationed in California and I was coming from tech school, which was in Texas. And so when I got to California, you know, I kind of found out that I was integrating an all male weather station and, you know, that my superior who was an older white male um, and divorced, and he, he really thought that we would be friends or have some sort of relationship. And I had, you know, no interest in that. And when I displayed my disinterest, a lot of things started occurring. There was a lot of, a lot of negative things that happened. Um, He definitely made my workplace hostile um, and did specific things to prevent me from pursuing opportunities, whether it was a short TDY assignment to Guam or these other places that I wanted to travel or it was transferring, you know, jobs because I actually tried to get out of that that whole career field and do something differently. But there are steps that you have to take. And I wasn't supported by my supervisor. I also tried to go to school during that time and he would not allow me to change my shift by about 30 minutes to actually take evening classes, even though my other colleagues were willing to step up and make sure that, that there was coverage. And so all of these things were happening. I was so young trying to navigate all of that. And I was told when I was finally approached by a colleague and told, you know, he's never going to let you do that. Like, you know, if you were to go away on those TDY trips, you would be assigned, you know, and you would have to travel with another male and he's not going to let you do that. So once it you know, clicked. And I understood that, okay, this is not something I'm imagining. This is not something that's normal. You know, and I was able to see that other people were perceiving the same things around me. I understood, you know, that there was an issue there and it didn't get better. It got worse. And and there was some incidents that led up to me being separated from the military. And from then I ended up marrying like right around the time that, that I was separated from the military. I married another guy that I met who was active duty. And we also had a a volatile relationship. He went, he was arrested for holding me at knife point and beating me. And this was after I served him with divorce papers because we'd gone on vacation and he raped me during vacation. So I made it very clear to him that, you know, the marriage was over after the sexual assault. And when I actually tried to present him with the papers, he left for the day, returned and woke me up in the next morning by holding a knife to my throat. So that was how our marriage ended. Once he was arrested, he was removed from the household. And um, if you're a military spouse, fortunately, the military will cover the expenses through the end of the, the lease. So my lease was you know, paid for and those types of things, the utilities were covered. But tried to pick up the pieces and figure out you know, my next step in life. So I remained in California just long enough to see the, the divorce through legally. And then I went back to the East Coast uh, where I'm from and um, 
you know, reunited with my family in Virginia. So cut to a decade later, and I'd been divorced for, you know, a full decade and didn't even entertain the idea of marriage. I ended up marrying someone and I, I was in the process of trying to complete my education. I had just finished my degree in human resources. It was an associate's degree. And I really felt like that was my path. I'm always gravitated towards helping professions. And I really thought that, you know, this was something that I could do and I could really help employees. And whenever I worked a position, I always felt like the best people at the job were, were the HR people. They helped you if you had a problem with your paycheck or if you were having personal issues, they were always there. So I just thought, okay, I love to help people. So I did go back to school. And right around the time I was graduating, I met this guy who I thought was wonderful. And, you know, everything I, I thought I needed at the time, because my first marriage, you know, I married him and it was, we had a physical attraction. It was definitely a decision I made because, you know, I thought, oh, you marry, you know, someone that you're passionately attracted to. And he used to always call me his best friend. And so, you know, I thought that we were best friends. <laughs> so my second marriage, you know, I really thought, okay, well, this guy is older. He is, he's got a great career. He'll provide me with stability. And of course I loved him. It just wasn't, you know, the same level of romantic love, but I thought that it was something that was something that would be good for my life. And so we were married for less than a year before we separated. And it was the same pattern of abuse where it started out with the verbal abuse and mental abuse. And he was very manipulative. And at the time, I had no idea that he was involved in criminal activity. And I had no idea that he had a criminal past. And he hid it so well that his actual family members that I had access to, I was very close to his grandmother. And you know, after his second arrest, apparently, she told me that she had no idea that he had ever been arrested. And he'd done about eight months in jail for mortgage fraud. And she had no idea because he just kind of dropped off the planet and they thought he was going through some personal issues. So this is how good this guy was. Family didn't know. He went into a position and he was sentenced to prison for embezzlement. And at the time, we were already separated because I could not pinpoint exactly what was wrong with our relationship. I just knew that he was a, not a kind person to me behind closed doors. And it wasn't something that I wanted to, he wasn't someone that I wanted to raise my children with. And so I left that marriage. And before our divorce was final, I had to go back to where we were living at the time where he had accepted a position in Georgia and go through and testify against him and do this whole public trial and because he was a public person. He worked as a member of elected member of the government. So it was a whole big high profile case for that area, which was a very rural area of Georgia. And so I went through that whole situation and luckily didn't have to serve any time or anything, even though I was, you know, implicated initially because I was his wife. But after that, I just wanted to figure out what is going on with me that I'm attracting this type of man. And because I was so invested in our relationship early, because I thought that I was marrying someone that I could be proud of, I wanted to backtrack and figure out why, you know, I thought that I needed that in my life and how I could become a person that I could be proud of, 
how I could rescue myself instead of looking to outside sources or a relationship or a marriage or anything that that's going to make me feel, you know, more stable. And so I went into grad school. I finished up my bachelor's degree and then I entered grad school and I studied clinical mental health counseling for that particular reason, because I wanted to change these patterns in my life. And I didn't want to attract that type of, of chaos in my life. And so that's just, that's a huge part of my journey. And it's, it's obviously related to the type of work that I do. And, you know, especially as it relates to writing, what I write about and how I coach and the type of clients that are attracted to my services and also the workshops that I give. So not only do I do basic writing craft, I do these workshops specifically on trauma writing. So let me ask you a couple of questions because you clearly have talked about this and processed this yourself, but it occurs to me how brave you were in in many of those instances. First of all, you're going to California as a young person. And when you said you were integrating that station, did I hear you mm-hmm. correctly? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So were you integrating as a woman or as a woman of color? As a woman, period. Okay. So, <laughs> well, that's big, right? Mm-hmm. You're, I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like you have a lot of female allies or any at the moment, right? It can right. be scary and you're already young. Mm-hmm. So I just think about I think about the young women I know today who are approximately that age. And when you go into those situations, I was struck by, you know, when you were sharing that, you got validation that you, you know, what you perceived happening was happening when other people said he's, that's never going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. But how often we can doubt ourselves or our own internal, I guess our internal like compass that says this isn't right, something's wrong, but you know, we think maybe it's us. And without having anyone that necessarily could reflect back to you, either as a woman or a woman of color to help you, that must have been very isolating. Were there family members you were able to reach out to? There were. I never really let them know what was going on because I think I was so young at that point and I had so little job experience. You know, and you always hear people complain about their job and their their terrible boss, but you don't really realize how bad your job is if you're dealing with issues like sexual harassment. So what really I think kind of camouflage a lot of what was going on is because I, you know, also wasn't there. It was one of those situations where after a period of time, it was so negative that all I was focused on, you know, I was working for the weekend, you know, so I did have some family that I met that were on the West Coast that I'd never known before. So there was a a second cousin that I hung out with who lived not too far from the base. And this is all in the Bay Area. So I would go out in San Francisco and I would, and I was dating this guy in LA. So I would go up and down the coast. And so, you know, I'm a young person. So most of my focus is on, you know, my social life and my hours outside of the office. So when I was in the office, it was just kind of trying to get through the day. Make it to the weekend. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that was interesting for me, and this is a shout out to all the folks that I know who do HR full time, was the credit that you give people who are in HR professions and really help people succeed in their work. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything more to say about that at this moment, but I just wanted to second that your observations of that and how important good HR is to someone's professional 
success potentially, or even Mm -hmm. understanding that there is a career path they could have. I agree with you that that is some of the most valuable and unseen people in organizations often. Absolutely. When you're talking now, though, you you talked a little bit about your clients or the folks that you work with. So share, if you would tell me two things or kind of help us understand a couple of things. One is what are the type of people who you most often work with? What are they seeking from you? How do you help them? And then I want to ask you to spend some time talking to us in a little more detail about your writing workshops. So let's talk about the folks who would come to you for help and and how you work with them. Absolutely. Primarily, I work with, I always say creatives, women creatives. I certainly have had male clients, but I always say that I'm femme-focused. So the bulk of my clients are women who either want to get into writing or they just want to tell their story, even if it's not something that's, you know, going to be for publication. And it's writers that are trying to transition or trying to really get to the next level in their career. And a lot of times that ties into the work that I do helping people get more media visibility. So that's one sector. And then I'm always able to, you know, do other projects. So there, there are, I've worked with a number of marketing agencies and, and PR companies. And so I do different work with them, but the, primarily the consulting and the coaching that I do is, is with communication professionals and it is on a one-on-one basis. That's a particular interest for me, just knowing that having that kind of support and coaching from someone with your skill set is really valuable mm-hmm. because it's difficult sometimes to know what you need or should be saying or even how it's coming across. It was, and I'm going to encourage people who are listening to this podcast to go out and look you up on the web. We will put the links to your website down there, but there are some very interesting work that you've been doing. And in particular, I'm very interested in your writing workshops. So I know there's six-week series. Can you talk to us about who comes to those, what you do in them? Yes, I have, gosh, I would say my top favorites and what I've been able to do, I'm located in the DMV area. So I started off doing free essay writing workshops for survivors of sexual assault. And so, and that's mainly, you know, for people that just want to tell their stories and understand that, you know, we're kind of, we're in the Me Too era now, but I've been writing about sexual assault and domestic violence publicly since 2013. So I'm kind of known for sharing that narrative. And so I've had, you know, great enjoyment just from being able to give back in that way. And then I also do workshops on on pitching, which is also related because if you do want to tell your stories publicly and you want to, you know, go that route and be a published writer and you want to get paid for it, you need to kind of figure out how to do that. So that's kind of giving you the tools of the trade. It's telling you, you know, protocol and just giving you kind of that guidance and, you know, and sometimes an accountability partner if you need that. And so that gives you more of an insight into the method, getting from from A to B, like, you know, if I'm here, how do I accomplish that? So I also do workshops through the Writer Center online. 
And that is called Writing Trauma Narratives. And I will also probably be, I do host workshops through my website as well. So this is all kind of tied in together, but this is really, gosh, I've had so many different people come through my workshops from professionals that work in film to writers that have always written fiction or just a different type of writing. Maybe they're a technical writer and they know my background writing personal essays and they want to get into that arena. And so I have writers that come through and then I'm always, you know, I always have people that come through that want to do some level of writing and they're not quite clear where they want it to end up yet, but they want to start to tell their stories. Do you find that the women who come to your workshops have any kind of perceived limitations or blocks about their ability to write that you need to address or that you do address with them? Uh, What I find, honestly, is they don't know the depths of the stories that they have to tell. And I think that's a lot of people we don't realize that, you know, once you get to a certain age in our society, once you hit your 20s, 30s, and 40s, and you've had some lived experience, a lot of us are working through multiple layers of trauma. It could be from, and trauma is not specific to, you know, sexual assault. It could be anything, anything that you are, it could be a physical injury. You know, I had a student in my workshop this time who just had an accident on the job. And, you know, you break a couple of bones and your whole lifestyle has changed if you're unable to work. So, and if you're a woman, you're always dealing with some level of of discrimination and maybe you have been abused. So I think that we don't even realize until, and that's why I tell people to read, you know, read and and read a stories that interest you and read how people are writing about their life experiences because you really don't even understand, oh my goodness, you know, I've had a similar experience and I can see how it relates to where my life has gone, the trajectory of my life, or they start to tie in these experiences and say, okay, maybe I do want to talk about that. So I think primarily I find that they don't know that they have so many stories to tell. So do you have specific exercises that you have women do that help them kind of peel those layers back? What I do is I assign reading every week that has to do with trauma narratives. So that's pretty much where the workshop begins. I'd like for people to go back and see, number one, what people are writing about, how they're approaching it, because some people are they're private and that is built into, into their personality. So they're not, maybe they're not going to write a personal essay that's going to detail every little thing that happened surrounding a traumatic experience, but they might write an advice article and they might write an article that really speaks to maybe their treatment. If they've gone through any level of counseling and how it impacted their life. Or they might even, you know, I've I've assigned travel essays. So they might be more interested in talking about recovery and how they took a trip, you know, to a country and it it impacted the way that it changed their worldview and impacted the way they live. So I like them to see how other people are writing about trauma. And I find that it's always really, really helpful. And then we start to talk about what happens when you do write about trauma what feelings come up for you, how you're triggered by it, how you start to think and how you 
start to feel and how you start to react and also what you can do to cope with those feelings once you have been triggered. So that's a huge part of it as well. And then because you're in a workshop with other survivors of trauma, of course, you're always, you're getting that support. So a lot of my students will come in and they'll say, oh, you know, I uh, feel so relieved that I can actually write about this topic and not feel like I'm going to be judged. So that's a huge part of it. You're writing within a community of people that have already, you know, had an experience that brought them all to the same space. And so that is a huge part of it. And that's why people are drawn to that particular workshop. But yeah, that, that's pretty much, you know, that, that's a huge, huge part of it. I would imagine, let me ask a quick question. So what is the typical size of your workshop? How many participants? Students, about 17. And that's large. <laughs> For someone who is working with students one-on-one because you're, it's really a space where they can either work with me. And so some students come in and they're not comfortable sharing certain details of what they went through. And I do respect their privacy. So it is more of an intimate interaction with me and where they will share certain things with the class, but you know, they're not forced to share everything. So for me working with 17 or so students, which I would consider a little more high maintenance just based on the sensitive, you know, the, the sensitive subject matter. That's a lot. <laughs> well, it takes a lot of your focus, right? To really mm-hmm. attend to them in the way that is important, as, both as a teacher, but as someone who's honoring the path that they've been on. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's I, the first time I did it, I really didn't do anything else. And I thought, oh, you know, I've been doing this workshop for, for six weeks and, and I haven't written for any other publication or anything. It really did require that level of focus for me. That's a good observation, too. Instead of thinking we can just add everything on top, you can do this mm-hmm. and this and this. What are some of your own success habits that allow you to be successful? Well, I think that I have really just worked on being realistic and being kind to myself. So while I love the whole concept of being fearless, I don't think it's about being fearless. I think a lot of things that we do, even as it, as it relates to taking professional risk, have to do with being able to work through your fears and also recognize your value. So I know that specifically for women, we have a lot of issues working through limiting beliefs. We listen to a lot of the messaging that comes in around us and a lot of it's negative. We are, you know, conditioned to play small and we're conditioned to consider ourselves last. So for me, it's really been kind of being, raising my awareness And so if there's something that I thought, oh, okay, this is something that I would love to do, I would love to be involved in or a way that I can give back, you know, I don't go through this whole process where I'm overanalyzing every decision that I make. And if it's scary, okay, well, you know, what I always go back to what's the worst that can happen, you know, and I do it anyway. So I think that that has really, really worked for me. And I've fortunate to be self-motivated and very curious and also 
you know, just very up to date on, on what's going on around me. So I get a lot of feedback sometimes from my clients and they say, oh, well, you know, I don't see these opportunities. If I tell them, you know, go on social media, go join this particular group or, or do this. And they say, well, I don't see these opportunities. And I tell them you, you really need to, to be engaged. And it's not something that requires you to sit on your phone or your computer all day, but you need to start doing certain things strategically in order to advance your career. And I've been good at that, about kind of doing things for a little while. I thought that it was really important when I first began writing professionally to do everything that everybody else was doing. So, you know, I did a year where I was going to the writers conferences and just doing all these sorts of things that in the end, you know, they really didn't interest me. And they really, you know, they weren't cultivating any compensation from any of that. That was just a lot of output and I wasn't getting a lot back. But you see people that say, oh, well, you must do A, B and C to get to D. And I really feel like you have to do things your own way. That's a big life lesson to learn. Mm hmm. It's huge. When you think about the path that you've traveled, and I, you know, I love that you talk about women of any age or color or any past really can be able to move forward. I'm wondering if there is one kind of tip or piece of advice you might give that woman. Yeah. And I would encourage you. I'm just, I'm looking at the calendar now and I'm going, okay, it's still October. So I was featured in an article for Poets and Writers magazine, and that's on the newsstands now, and it's the September-October issue. And there's a wonderful article in there called Outsiders on the Inside. I was asked to do to do that article or be interviewed for that article because I have kind of taken this alternate route to finding success in the industry. And there's other women that are also featured as well. And you will see, you know, we are, we're older women. Um, We come from different uh, racial backgrounds. And so I would always say that, especially as, as it pertains to writing, I mean, you really need to be more focused on your skills and your abilities and work on your limiting beliefs. Because there are so many people, I hear them every day around me and they say, oh, well, I'm too, you know, I'm past the age of being able to do this. I'm too old to do this. And I'll be very honest with you. I never, I've never stopped to think about that. And, and it's definitely has benefited me. There are plenty of, um, you know, I'm 42 years old. There are plenty of publications that I write for primarily the Lily at the Washington Post, which is a millennial publication. It's supposed to be targeted to that generation. Refinery29, I've been a writer for them. And, you know, I am not in from their demographic, but it does not mean that, you know, I don't have obviously stories that can resonate with them. So there's plenty of people that would have never have tried, you know, (laughs) they would never have taken on that type of assignment. They would never have, have looked for that type of work. So I really do think that it starts with you. And that your biggest cheerleader is you, but your biggest enemy can also be you as well. (laughs) It kind of paints a picture of like, if you think of it, you know what a boxing ring looks like, right? And your enemies Mm -hmm. across from you and there's your coach going, you can go get them. And at the same time, you're thinking, but I put that person there, right? That's from my head that I put across from me. It's not even a real obstacle. It's just me perceiving it's a little scary. And it is nice to, I think, you know, I think being fearless is not 
I don't even think it's worth trying to be fearless because there is that growth that comes when you stretch and it's uncomfortable. And then you go, I can do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it was, yep, it was scary, but here I am. I learned something. Yeah, I would agree. I definitely do things and say things that are kind of a woo-woo, that whole, like, you know, that whole kind of like um, Oprah kind of like crowd. But I do remember, and I'm not a huge, you know, Oprah follower, but I remember she would have people on her show and they would have talked about this huge accomplishment. And then she would say, oh, okay, well, now it's time to go on and dream a bigger dream. And so that's kind of where I am, where I do try and enjoy my accomplishments as they happen. But, you know, I'm always thinking, okay, well, I thought that was going to be, you know, next to impossible to achieve, or I thought it would take me a lot longer to achieve, and it's here. And so what can I do now? And I think it's important to always have goals, whether or not you are casual about it or structured about it. It doesn't matter. You always have to have your goals and focus. I couldn't agree with you more. It does kind of keep you engaged in life and paying attention outside of just, you know, like the one thing or your own self. As we wrap right now, I'm, I would be curious, given that you've already led kind of this really interesting, or you've traveled this interesting path to get where you are right now, I think you're you're not even partway done. It sounds to me mm-hmm. like you've got a lot ahead of you. I'm wondering what you might have told Shannon when she was eight years old that you know now that you had no way of knowing at that age? Yeah, when I look back, you know, I wish that I would have removed, you know, that focus of being involved with men or feeling like I had to have a man or a relationship. And even when I didn't feel like I had to have a relationship, allowing relationships, you know, and just being with someone because they pursued me. You know, so I kind of would tell her, leave the guys alone and just focus on developing yourself because all that stuff is not going to go away. You're still going to be able to have relationships and get married and all of these other things. I believe you can have it all. And I believe that you can't have it all at the same time, but I definitely would have, have told her to shift her focus. And my last question for you, since you are a writer and a reader, what are you reading right now for yourself? Oh my goodness. I have this whole list (laughs) that I kind of putting together because I want to take the month of of December off because I think that I deserve it. So (laughs) I have a book that a couple of different books that I pulled from Zadie Smith. And so I think the last one was, I want to say it's Be Free. I have it in my bag. But she's got one, I think it's called On Beauty. I think there's another one called Be Free. So some Zadie Smith, is that's in the near future of what I will be reading when I get some free time. So listen, podcast listeners, I just heard a great holiday gift that Shannon's giving herself, and that's the month of December to read because what? She deserves it. So <laughs> we don't need to wait for people to give us presents. We can give ourselves that space to do those things that nurture us as well, even when we're busy. So Shannon, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, and I'm going to keep track of what you're doing on your workshops because I think they sound really interesting and valuable. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. 
We hope you liked what you heard, and if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.